Welcome back to the DC3 cast. I am Brian. Me, as always, are Zach and Vince. We're going to talk about the DC Comics released on the, what was it, the 19th of uh, September? Uh, so if you haven't read those yet, pause the podcast, go listen to them, go read them, and then come back and listen to us. One important programming note, though. So uh, next week, our show is going to drop as normal. But tomorrow, if you're listening to this today, it's released Wednesday, the 25th. Uh, 20, sorry, 26th of uh, September. Tomorrow on the 27th, we are releasing uh, just about an hour-long episode all about Heroes in Crisis number one. We've read it. We have lots of thoughts on it. So um, if you're interested in our thoughts on Heroes in Crisis, that comes out tomorrow, the 27th of September, and the rest of the books for next week will be discussed on next week's show. So anyway, let's uh, dig into the news. There's a little bit of news here we want to talk about, which is that... Um, Starting in December, we have a 12-issue maxi-series, Martian Manhunter, written by Steve Orlando, illustrated by Riley Rosmo. This is the good, good shit, boys. What do you have to say about it? Zach? It, it's too good. We don't deserve it. <laughs> well, that's why it's only 12 issues. That's why it's yeah. only 12 issues. Yeah, um, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. This is so Orlando did confirm this is the big one. This is the one he's been teasing, the one his like dream project. Um, and I mean, everything about it just sounds, you know, all above board. It's it's going to be good. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. We don't deserve it because if this were an ongoing series, we would let it get canceled at like issue nine or something. Um but because it's 12 issues and it's a planned maxi series, it's going to be a year long delight. Yeah. Uh, for those that maybe don't uh, remember the first time Rosmo and Orlando worked together was on the night of the monster man crossover that happened very early on in rebirth. And then they did the Batman, the shadow miniseries. And uh, just, you know, if you haven't read either of those, it's really, really good stuff. It's some of the best Batman stories of Rebirth, and um, Orlando is on record as being a huge Martian Manhunter fan, and I'm convinced Riley Rossmo can draw anything, but drawing like weird alien shit is right up his alley, and this is going to be so much fun. It, it's it's poised to tell both. The, uh, it, it's set on Earth with a detec- with a detec- yeah a detective story being investigated by John Jones that will tie into his Martian heritage as well it's just uh you know this is the stuff that dreams are made of yeah the covers look so good they do they look so bonkers um fun side note i'm i'm doing my detective comics read through right yeah um i'm around issue 300 right now and martian manhunter recently started up as a backup in there to uh to the to the batman story and uh basically the first issue of Martian Manhunter, the first time that he shows up, it's a really good origin story. And then every issue, every story after that so far has been basically that episode of uh, or th- those episodes of the Flintstones where Fred has to be at like uh, Wilma! Pe- Pe- <laughs> Fred has to be at like uh, Pebbles birthday, but also at the Water Buffalo Club or something at the same time. 
and he has to be in two places at once. And that's basically like every, you know, every story has to prove that John Jones exists, but, and is not a Martian, but then Martian Manhunter also exists. Um, so what you're describing is the entire first season of the adventures of Superman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep. Go figure. That was a very common uh, storytelling yeah. trope back then. And also, that was the like biggest the last... problem. Yeah, biggest problem that plagued superheroes in the era yeah. was uh, being yeah. in two places at once. Being in two places at once. At one point, uh, John Jones creates a Martian Manhunter robot that, <laughs> well dressed as human John Jones. He is controlling as he flies through the air by breathing on it from a very long distance. Well, ta- well, talking to a, a female colleague of his and saying, see, I can't be the Martian Manhunter. <laughs> I'm not joking. Uh, the, we also have just described the last 20 minutes of Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> <laughs> Being two places at once. Um, yeah. No, this is a this is undoubtedly good, and I really think that Steve Orlando is going to be the guy to take the reins of the Justice League after Scott Snyder wraps up with them, mm-hmm. and I hope that Martian Manhunter plays an important role in his Justice League when that eventually happens. Uh, also coming out starting the same month, another limited series. Freedom Fighters, written by Rob Venditti, illustrated by Eddie Barrows. Um, this takes place on Earth X, which somewhat differentiates it from some of the um, Freedom Fighter stories we've had in the last twenty or so years, which have tried to make them more of a part of the sort of mainline DC universe. Um, I am not the world's biggest Freedom Fighters fan. I, there have been some good Freedom Fighter stories, obviously out there. But this doesn't particularly pique my interest. But Zach, I know you were particularly excited about this, so tell us why. De- defend the Freedom Fighters for us. I, I make well one. Uh, I care about freedom, Brian. Obviously, well, I mean, um, that goes without saying. You are um, the patriot of the DC three cast. Uh, <laughs> um, two, so two things. Uh, Eddie Barrows is really good. He is. And this is, if I'm not mistaken spinning out of multiversity like this is the oh is it i'm pretty sure it it's connected or it's the same it's working off of the grant morrison multiverse framework okay Vince, um, any any thoughts on this any uh excitement or trepidation or whatnot um i'm kind of in your boat i don't really the freedom fighters don't trip my trigger but uh I do like the pitch for this one, so I'm I'm gonna give it a shot as I do all DC comics. Oh, before I forget, Vincey, uh, did you see the uh, announcement of what DC is reprinting in December? No. They're reprinting a two-volume set called Detective Comics Before Batman, which is uh, all the detective issues before Batman's debut. Okay. I actually referenced you in today's soliciting multiversity DC oh. column, saying oh, that you're boy. The, no. I said that you're the only person I know. Who has gone back and really read that stuff, and now it's going to be a lot easier for us to do so with those collections. Yeah, it's mostly bad. Yeah. <laughs> I also cited you as the one person who wanted a Sasquatch Detective one-shot. So. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. So yeah, so there we go. Damn straight. Yeah. 
Uh, December is like a sneaky stacked month for DC because you got those two books starting. You have Batman and the Outsiders starting. You have Tomasi and Monkey starting on Detective Comics. You have Kelly Sue DeConnick and Robson Roca starting on Aquaman. You've got um, a new Vertigo series beginning. You've got another new talent showcase. It's a, it's a surprisingly packed month. And that's even more surprising because there's a Wednesday in the month that's the 26th, and Diamond is not shipping that day. So the first Wednesday in January is getting all the books that would normally happen the last Friday in December. So even with like, you know, 15 books missing, it's still a pretty huge month. So, yeah. We're going to kill ourselves reading all these comics in December. We do it for you, listeners. We do. Everything we do, we do it for you. (laughs) It's both a Brian Adams and an Arrest Development joke. Yeah, it is, yeah. Oh, Franklin Delano Bluth. Um, all right, let's let's talk about the comics, guys. Let's start with. Uh, do you want to start with with the one, the Black Label debut, or just go in alphabetical order? Vince? Oh, the age-old question. You know my answer, Zach. As the patriot of the DC Three Cast, what what do you what do you think our founding fathers would have us do? Well, they would definitely side with the the depiction of manhood and virility that is <laughs> batman damned so, so, let's, so let's go with that then batman damned number they one. famously loved cock <laughs> <laughs> that was almost on our coins instead of e pluribus unum just we love cock so batman damned number one Going for something like 60 bucks on eBay right now. Written by Brian Azzarello. Illustrated by Lee Bermejo. Let's not bury the lead here. We get to see some back crank in this issue. A <laughs> um, couple of times in this issue. Yeah. Some, I'm some, so mature. Some tasteful, some tasteful full frontal nudity. Um, I mean, again... We have to talk about it because that's what people are talking about with this with this book. It's not the most gratuitous cock I've seen in a comic. Not even close. Um, no, I mean, how much how much do we want to talk about the uh, the whole controversy thing? Maybe set up the controversy for us, Vince. Well, so so all right. So this issue uh, came out on the nineteenth, and what like the next day. Uh, DC. No, I think DC announced that it was going to be. It was not going to appear in the digital version on the day it came out. Because it it, it was never in the digital version, right? I don't know. Right. Yeah, it was never in the digital version. Yeah, and then that all reprints of this comic going forward or any collections would not include the you know penis. why, right? Uh, this is going to be some great pun, I'm sure. No, Why? This is not a pun. No, it, it, it's that DC realizes that if you want to jack off and know how to use the internet, you can find ways to do that. But Luddites <laughs> that don't get digital copies, they need to jerk off the old-fashioned way, and so they had to provide them with some Batcock for the, to get their uh, to get their. What is your favorite Paul McCartney euphemism for uh, masturbation? Gronk in their plonkers. Yeah, so they can gronk their plonkers. You know. 
the old fashioned <laughs> way. Exactly. Yeah. The way our yeah. founding fathers intended. <laughs> you got it. Uh, <laughs> oh my goodness. So, um, so, so yeah, you see some back dick. It's fine. Whatever. It's it's not a big deal. It really is. Does doesn't this uh this whole backlash thing go against like the whole purpose of black label though? That, that's the silly thing is that black label is supposed to be the uncensored raw comics that are out there, and uh, I don't know what's more raw than than to back crank. So yeah, well, I think I think part of it is that when people talk about it, they make it sound a lot worse than it is. You know. You hear some people talk about it and they talk about how explicit it is. And it's like, he's not, it's not sexual in any way. No, he's not, you like, know, Alfred, check it out. Just push yeah. Down, you know? yeah, it's not, it's, it's, it's window dressing, really. Um, and, and so I think when people talk about it, they make it sound worse than it is. And also, I, I understand. There were retailers on social media that were particularly up in arms because they're worried that um, kids are going to see a Batman book and they're going to try to buy it. And then they're going to get caught selling a book with a penis in it to a minor or something, which I guess can get you in trouble in some places or something like that. There was a, there was one retailer that was cited as they had gotten fined for doing that because the parents found out and, and filed a complaint or something. Um, but, <laughs> but, and I, and I get that it's Batman and that makes it different, but there's a dozen comics every week that probably have a penis in it. And Zach, you made the point about saga, right? Mm. Has, has uh, genitals in it constantly, you know? And you can't tell me that they're that Saga's not being sold to minors. You know, you can't tell me that there's other comics that aren't. You know, it's it it it, it flies in the face. I mean, we're talking about corporate comics, so like, how much do you want to get into the whole like this is an artistic statement type thing? But but it is art, and and the point of Black Label is to be adult and to say that ah well we can't show a, a penis is like um. You know, it's it's automatically then now it's now it's not as mature as image comics. Now it's not on that same plane. You know, now you're now you're now you don't have the you, you've got these limitations put on you well, that you didn't once think you had. I will say that I guess the solution is that, you know, if there's going to be some, you know, some book where they want to have Aquaman swimming around naked, if in the future they just polybag it, I think it will solve all those issues. If they just let people, like, the the impression that I got, uh, money, money, Bostones, was that um, that was a fucking good joke. Another of you laughed, and I'm mad about it. Um, I didn't hear it, it. it. It was okay. I said the impression that I get, money, money, Bostones, oh, is okay. that um, good joke, sir. Thank you. Is that it's more that like retailers felt surprised by this, which I don't really agree with at all. But next, DC can just be more clear about the content and I think eliminate that issue. But what I was going to say is I I would guess that all three of us were raised by parents who took a fair interest in what we were doing with our, with our time when we were kids. You know, I I think our parents probably strict to different degrees, but I Mm -hmm. can't imagine my mom letting me buy a comic called Batman damned. Yes, when, when, when I was too young to be scandalized by a penis in a comic. 
Yes. So it it just seems to me like if that's your issue, then that's an issue with. Nor would I. I think you know, like I, I grew up with some pretty good comic shops in my local area. I think that maybe a retailer would be like, "Hey, kid, this ain't for you." You know. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, you like movies about gladiators? <laughs> yeah. You ever been in a Turkish prison? Uh, the, the the gatekeepers of this are the ones who are angry about the gates not being kept yes exactly mm-hmm. to quote Maud flanders will somebody think of the children no sorry that, <laughs> I, that's that's for reverend lovejoy's wife i'm sorry yes yep and how how up in arms will they be when the amazon book has titties in it yeah you know yep um anyway um Bat phallus aside, what'd you guys think of this issue? Zach, you take it. I want to hear from you. We, I, Zach I, and I, I, Zach and I had a little thing about this. I, I didn't think this was very good. Um, I didn't think this was very much of anything. <laughs> uh, I mean, I. I guess I've finally gotten to see uh, Thomas Wayne have an extramarital affair, so that felt good. Um, I was waiting for him to give her a pearl necklace. Oh, like, oh just, my just, no, 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 just because of the, the the double entendre there, not not come on her neck. I mean, like literally give like okay, on okay. The, like on the bridge, give her like a uh, a package with a pearl necklace in it. I was waiting for it. Didn't happen. I also, didn't just, I also just said, "Come on her neck" on the podcast. So yeah, you did. Because you guys went dirty with it. Wonderful. Wonder, I didn't. I you I was both, talking about the jewelry. You both giggled like little kids. Well, that's obviously how you meant it. No, it's not. <laughs> I legitimately meant because this book was to me. This book was telegraphing like every. Um, how can I put this? Like. It was it, it. It's taking Batman to its darkest possible place, and there's. I think there's this implicit understanding in when when Martha's pearls get ripped off, where it's like here here's a symbol of both her wealth, and it's obviously a gift from somebody. So it's this it's the symbol of love and wealth being ripped away, and I just think like this book is undermining so many of the classic. Batman concepts that you'll show like oh the pearls don't mean what you think they mean this is what Thomas gave all of his women like th- I, that's really how I meant it I did not mean it in a sexual way I promise I don't know what do you think Vince I think he's <laughs> lying <laughs> doesn't check out so so Brian how did you feel about this oh this sucks <laughs> oh man no, that, that's a it's a bit oversimplifying it. I I did not particularly enjoy this. Um, I find it very interesting that Saga came up organically in conversation because this tries to do the Saga lettering mm-hmm. throughout it with, with with Constantine's like thoughts just appearing on the panel like without a thought bubble. Um, and I just felt like this issue. It took all the interesting parts out of what would be the story and just left us with the parts I really don't care about. Mm, that's an interesting take because because I I liked this. I didn't love it. I liked it. But I think my complaints are exactly what you're talking about. 
So so expound upon that. Well, okay. So I have either of you read Bermejo and Azarello's Joker? Yes. The man who laughs. I I actually haven't. I've read their um, Luthor. Actually, no. Azarello didn't work on that. I I've read uh, Bermejo's uh, Batman Christmas Story. Batman Noel, I believe it was called. Yes. Yeah. Um. So I I read the Joker thing when it came out, but I I have totally blocked it out of my mind. I know I read it. I can't tell you a damn thing about it, essentially, other than than sort of the visual look of it, you know. And um, but I just felt like if the Joker's dead, well, Vince, th- is that how their book ends with the Joker dying? The the the, the man one. who laughs. Yeah. Mm, I don't remember. I don't think so. So that's 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 new for this story, and like, th- I understand that the mystery of this is sort of how did the Joker die or is the Joker dead, or all of that. But it just seemed to me like this isn't Batman doing detective work. This isn't Batman doing superhero stuff. This is Batman, like, beat to shit and kind of just convalescing <laughs> with with Constantine showing up. And uh, I don't know. It just it wasn't it wasn't interesting. Nothing that happens here really interested me that much. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Well, okay, so I liked it, but I do I do have that same complaint that that in an effort how do I say this? In an effort to change some parts of the bat story or the Bruce Wayne mythos, they avoided doing some of the things that make Batman Batman. But at the same time, I believe this as a story where Batman came out of it in a, maybe a different way. He's bat, Batman still exists, but he came to that point down a very different path. And um, I saw, I read this immediately as a Elseworlds. What if, what if the killing joke ended or what if the killing joke went beyond the last page of the killing joke and did Batman really did Batman choke the Joker out or not, you know, and where do we go from there? You know, and that, that fascinated me. And I think I've said on the show before that I don't think, I don't think there will be ever be a, another great Batman and Joker story. And we certainly don't need any more, uh, swings at it you know um i'm i'm kind of overseeing batman stories but there was there was enough in here that that got me see i did find parts of it interesting like the fact that uh who the who i'm assuming is the enchantress has possibly been around since bruce bruce was a kid and influencing him in some way um i i enjoyed the way that that at one point she manifests herself as a bird and like lands outside his window or something. And I enjoyed the way that rather than like the Scott Snyderian um, uh, or, or, or Grant Morrisonian uh, idea that the bat was a symbol that came from the dawn of time to find Bruce Wayne and make, turn him into Batman. Uh, this idea that he's haunted by something else as a kid in this different kind of darker world, you know? And I think 
like a darker superhero story is appropriate for Batman. And I complain about it all the time in the mainline books, but I feel like in an Elseworlds title, in a black label book, this is exactly where this type of story should be, you know? Sure, sure. I, I can get behind that conceptually. Yeah, and so I like I like the kind of Justice League dark characters like Dead Man and the like the mystic the mystic side of things coming in and playing into Bruce's life in this way. Um to me it's those are always interesting characters to me and it's a really interesting angle at sort of it's a view about what makes Batman Batman and like a look into his sanity that that they always play at in the mainline stories, but now they're looking at it like explicitly through this dark mystic lens. And I don't know if I'm going to, I I mean, I could, I could hate the next issue, but I, there's enough here for me to say, I want to see where this goes because if they really use these mystic characters to their potential, I can, I can see myself really liking this book. Um, the first the first issue just worked for me. I don't know. Um, you know, the last page reveal of the jo- of of a Jokerized uh, crucifix is like a joke I would make on this show. But yes, somehow, but somehow in Batman Damned, the black label title issue number one uh, with gorgeous art from Lee Bermejo, I it it just worked for me. I don't know. I I didn't love it. There were pro- there were problems. It was a little too long i just generally don't like comics to be this long but but i liked it when i saw the joker eyes crucifix i just thought of the 21 jump street movie where there, <laughs> there's the korean jesus and ice t ice cube rather yells at jonah hill for praying to the korean jesus because he's he's busy with korean shit <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and i feel like joker he's jesus busy is, with joker is busy with joker shit yeah, yeah that's twisted <laughs> And I just spilled water all over myself, which is also twisted. Uh, Joker Jesus made you do it. He did. Joker, if Joker Jesus had uh, uh, five fishes and three loaves or whatever it was, uh, he could twist of, the whole world. I was gonna say instead of instead of making food for the for the entire city or whatever the entire gathering, he would take it all for himself because that would be the most twisted thing to do. He, that's as many as. Four, was it four ten? <laughs> Forty. <laughs> four tenths, and yeah, that's terrible. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> we got there. Yeah, it took a while, but we got there. Um, yeah. Any last points on this uh, this issue? Um, meat, meat sack, <laughs> dead man is something I never need to see again. <laughs> you mean barf sacko crumbo. Yes. <laughs> that's what I meant. I think that's what I said. Let's move uh, on. <laughs> oh boy, um, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, I don't know about you guys, but when I saw "fuck" in a Batman comic, I said, "Can they do that?" <laughs> I mean, really? <laughs> uh, hey guys, yes. hey guys, hey guys! Mm. I'm mixing for kids anymore, baby. No! Damn, son. It's damn, it's true. Yeah. All the moms out there buying this book for their kids, they got another thing coming. <laughs> and it's Batman cuz his dick's in the book. Yep. As as Plastic Man would say, this book is very wang. It is very wang. 
Vera Wang. Uh, <laughs> just getting all of our all of our bullshit in in like one <laughs> in one little segment here, so we can have a good show from here on out. We'll never do a good show. Are I you know, kidding? I know we hate ourselves too much. Um, all right, well, let's talk about Aquaman. The finale of the uh, Sink Atlantis storyline, number 40, written by Dan Abnett and Rob Williams, and illustrated by uh, Joe Bennett, I guess, did most of this, right? Joe Bennett. Yeah. Uh, I I did really enjoy the Ivan Reyes variant cover for this, of all the sort of Abnett Aquaman characters in one place. I don't know if you yeah, saw but that. Like, but like very, uh, it's, it's, totally geared towards the movie yeah i think i thought this was the piece that reyes did that they based one of the movie posters on possibly i mean that's jason momoa well yeah the tattoos are certainly jason momoa yeah (laughs) i mean the hair is even kind of brown it's like still is glowing so that it could pass (laughs) but for for like comic also but like also, it's literally got the uh, movie logo. That also. And, yeah. And title font. I like how a motherfucker can't just like a cover. No, I liked it too. Just, just I just think, I think, uh, yeah. better recognize. Sure. Um, so this was the finale of the, uh, of the crossover with the Suicide Squad. This is also the third to last Abnett written um, Aquaman story. And I believe the next two issues are preludes to uh, that Justice League crossover. Mm. Right? Sink Atlantis, right? No, no that's this. That's this. Uh, the Drowned Earth, is it? Drowned same Earth, shit. Right. It's the same, yeah. means the same thing. Yep, exactly. <laughs> it's all the same. It's all the same. Um, <laughs> Atlantis is either floating or sinking. <laughs> Sinkers and floaters. <laughs> I knew that was coming. God damn right it. you are, Ken. <laughs> Don't get eliminated. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, <laughs> I say that all the time. Yeah, you gotta. douche here. Gila douche. Right, you are, Ken. All right, let's. Uh, I already did that. I know. I'm going to get to end the bit. Uh, <laughs> so, um, the good news here is that Dolphin didn't die. Dolphin was the MVP of this one. Yeah, we were all afraid Dolphin was going to die. R.I.P. Carl, though, am I right? Yeah. Carl, the master jailer. I mean, that guy had red shirt written all over him, but still, you know. I really liked how how the master jailer was like the put upon kind of beta beta helper. Mm -hmm. And Satanus was this like just nothing but a power hungry mustache twirler. No real backstory, just twirling his mustache and saying evil shit. And being it's called good. Satan's anus. Satan's anus, yep. Um, Zach, what did you think of this? Oh, it was it was fine. It was fine. It, it, it was, was fine. It was more Suicide Squad than Aquaman, and that's... But it was written by, by Abnett, so it had way better dialogue. Well, you know what I really liked? I liked, I actually really liked Harley's line where she says, 
Remember that big ass door from the last issue? Yeah. Yeah, that was Which the is, best part of the issue. Yeah. I, I wish I know she's like the Deadpool. I know it's not like particularly groundbreaking because she does shit like that in her own book all the time. But I wish they would push that out to her character in in any book she appears in. I wish she was liable. Sometimes it feels like we're dealing with two or possibly even three Harley Quinn. Well, each each Joker needs its own Harley Quinn. <laughs> what if that is the one from Harley Quinn? The What if the Palmiati and Connor iteration is one Joker's Harley? This is another. and uh, Batman the Animated Series. Yeah. Or the Suicide oh, Squad movie. Oh, once again, this podcast blows my own mind. Um, I thought you were going to say, once again, this podcast blows. (laughs) (laughs) All that, too. Um, But I like that. I like when she does that in a series that's not her own. Um, And I feel like I feel like she can even get away with that in Suicide Squad. But I think it is like a it's an interesting step to see her say something like that in any other title. You know, Yeah, agreed. It's a small, it's a small thing, but it's a bit of flavoring that I enjoy. So yeah, and I have to give Joe Bennett some credit here. I I have not always been the biggest Joe Bennett fan, but I think he did a good job melding his style with what's been going on in Aquaman lately to not mm-hmm. make it feel totally out of place. I agree. Yeah, yeah. This was this was really good art. I liked it. Yeah, I think we talked about that last time when we talked about the book, how how he's going for a slightly different style. And I think that uh, Adriano Lucas's colors are helping with that. Yes, certainly. I think there's something I think because Bennett is is a more traditional penciler and um, the other artists were more painterly. I, th- I think there's just a bridge you're never going to totally gap there. But I I I think it's it's good enough in that right. You know, I like it. I agree. Um, and then the only other thing I want to say is uh, Mira and Amanda Waller, two dope queens. <laughs> that that was a fine little ending there. I I thought that was really that was uh, you you actually like Amanda Waller in that on those pages I think at least I did. Well, it gives her something more interesting than what she normally has to do. Yeah. It's it's interesting that she interacts with Mira and there's like a there's a level of respect there that you never see Waller give anyone else, you know? Right. Very good. All right, up next is Batman number 55 written by Tom King, illustrated by Tony S. Daniel. And uh you know, we said before there's going to be spoilers in the podcast, but I'll just throwing that out there again. This is the issue where Dick Grayson gets shot in the head for no reason. Zach, go <laughs> off, King. I know you I, want to. I, uh, I don't. I mean, like. I don't know. I'm just the guy who hates comics now. That's just who I am. Um, King gets self-aware in this issue. Was that? I think he uh, in that the scene in the thing? in the burger or uh, no hot dog hot in the twenty four hour hot dog joint. He on the bottom left hand panel he has a word balloon that says he's just repeating himself because he thinks that's profound. <laughs> that's probably a direct line from this podcast. Uh, yep, probably. 
<laughs> um, I feel very embarrassed by that. <laughs> Um, so, uh, I, I do want to say that if you want to hear more thoughts about Tom King and the death of characters and just sort of pointlessly hurting characters, do listen to our Heroes in Crisis episode, but we're going to try and not spoil anything from Heroes in Crisis in this discussion. Um, isn't isn't it so weird how this is the follow-up, though, to, like, the last issue? Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> Right. What What do you mean by that, Zach? The last issue was uh, the what was the last issue? Is the Matt Wagner, Wagner Nightwing Batman flashback oh, right. thing? Right. Like clearly, this was setting up for that. Yeah. In in a really weird, misguided way. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um. What do you but, think the rationale behind this is? Do you think this is really a Tom King thing? Because this seems really put together last minute especially like taken in light of um i mean maybe he did come up with this but like taken with the news that uh percy is off nightwing and labdell is taking over and like kind of how you know this week was percy's last issue and we'll get into kind of how that ends no, and kind of sets up for this i want to say percy has one more i want to say 50s is last issue no labdell's doing that i'm almost positive I thought Percy said 50 was his last issue. Maybe you're right, but I thought like the Bleeding Cool article that reported it said that like Percy was off with this one and Liddell was taking over. I could be wrong, I'll but I thought like Go Percy ahead, was I'll, off. I'll look it up. I got the impression that Percy was going off because he didn't want to deal with this. Oh, I agree like, with this, that. Yes. You know what I mean? Maybe maybe he is wrapping it up in 50. Um. And it is like an oversized thing, so maybe they're both on it. Who knows? Yeah. Let's see. But, but see, that tells me that this is that this is Tom King, and he has sway. Uh, okay, you're right. Percy is still listed on here, but it is weird that the solicit says that this kicks off an epic four-part story. If this is his last issue, well, he announced on Twitter. He said, uh, uh, "Hang on, my this page is loading weird." Um, I'm afraid Nightwing number 50 will be, will be my last in the series. I'm proud to have written okay. it. So, yeah. Okay, okay. I, I was just under the impression that he was, like, jumping ship so so, so that Libdell could do well, this thing. I mean, I, I think it's probably one of those situations where he had what he wanted to do, and then King's plans for Nightwing overrode those plans. And Lobdell is a guy who can clearly do a script in like four days. Yeah. I, I don't mean that to, to be a, necessarily a slam on Lobdell, though I guess I sort of do, just because like he would, he was the classic fill-in for the New Fifty Two. Like any yeah, he was like, writing like three or four books at once when other creators would jump ship. Exactly. So that's what I mean. Like you know, he can just he can come in and sort of, you know, plow through a book quickly like that. Um, yeah. Um, I just don't get. It's a really weird. Th I, I I know that it's probably has something to do with, um, Bane breaking Bruce's life, you know. But it just seems like a really weird thing to introduce in the spot at this time. I don't know how you do a Nightwing book. I mean, I guess we'll find out. But 
And then also right alongside Heroes in Crisis, which I won't spoil, but like it's... treading treading very similar territory with a very similar generational character. Yes. Yes. You know? Um and that's a whole other conversation for another day. But what I was gonna say was I feel like the only reason that you have Nightwing shot in the head is to do one of two stories. To either do like how does the acrobat deal with being grounded which i think that there can be some sort of interesting stories from that but you know but how many bat characters have had injuries where they're literally grounded whether it's batman's back breaking or barbara gordon being shot you know that's not a necessarily new concept but what i fear is going to happen and maybe i read a solicit maybe i just am imagining this but I feel like the implication is that it's going to change who Nightwing is. Like, it's going to affect his brain chemistry in a way where he's not going to be the same, like, fun-loving Dick Grayson. Mm-hmm. And we don't need more dark, brooding bat sidekicks. <laughs> like, between Damien and Jason, I think we're good for a while. Yeah, Jason, who they just semi-soft relaunch to make even more extreme and dark with Scott Lobdell behind the pen of that with one, Scott so. Lobdell yeah. and and Damien running dark teen titans it's it's really weird yeah. what's happening it just seems to me like that dick is the one character that you don't have to do anything to because there's nobody else like him in the DC universe yeah. I, I don't get why you would want to make him more like somebody else when you know Look, better than Batman. That was, you know, that that was the first arc. People, there has almost never been a situation in all of comics when a character died or, quote, died, and the replacement took over, that people were mad when the replacement left. But mm-hmm. when Dick Grayson stopped being Batman, a lot of people were upset about that because Dick Grayson is... I have said in the past, to me, the Teen Titans are the fundamental DC characters more than anybody else, that that those original Teen Titans, in introducing legacy to DC Comics, mean more than almost anybody else. And Dick Grayson is the key to all of that. Dick Grayson, and, and it's been referenced in this in this run of Nightwing, that Dick Grayson is important to the DC Universe in a way that few characters are. So why would you want to fuck with that? I just don't get yeah. it. Tim is going to come back and be like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> what happened while well, I was gone? Um, so one thing I want to say about the actual content of this issue mm-hmm. is that I think the, the plan was um, that by the end, Tom King actually wanted you to want Dick to get shot in the head. Like he's so annoying that you want him yeah. to shut the fuck up. Yeah, like absolutely, like I absolutely th- think that by the end you're supposed to be cheering for him to get murked because it's he's just the worst in this. But he's not out of character the worst. Oh, ah, uh, I, I I think he, he is so annoying. Yeah, look, look Tom, maybe not out, maybe not out of character, but just atrocious writing. Yes, no, I'll agree with that. I I think King wrote the worst possible version of Dick Grayson. But it still feels like Dick Grayson to me. Maybe. Zach, you've been awfully quiet, as Brian often says. I just don't have anything really to say. <laughs> um, yeah. Anything nice, at least. You know, what you, 
Mom always said, if you don't have yeah. anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. So I, I, yeah. I was thinking about this this week because we read Heroes in Crisis and we read Mr. Miracle and we read this. And every now and then there's a creator that, that becomes the focal point of the sort of big events of a publisher, right? Think Bendis with Avengers in like, you know, 2010 or whatever it was when he was writing Avengers and New, and New Avengers and all that. Um, or even, you know, there were times where, like, someone like Morrison never really got there because Morrison was always focused on just sort of his one or two books. You know, he wasn't going after the line in a way that some of these other creators do. But I, I think sometimes the entire year or two or era is defined by that person's work. And I think for better or worse, in 20 years, Rebirth might be remembered as the Tom King era. Yeah. And that's kind of a bummer. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I think it I think it should be the Snyder. Not that not that you have to pit one against another, but I think Snyder know, gets I, I'm gonna I'm gonna remember odd. Yeah. Well just because well, I don't know. What what you're saying is that it's it's a creator who defines the the era, but I think Snyder in the new fifty two transcended a particularly bad era. That's true. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. You know. Um one last thing I want to say about this issue is something that I say about Tom King a lot, but I, I really want to like from a comic booking standpoint, people seem to be impressed by the nine panel grid, right? Mm -hmm. That's a thing that like when it's done, you, you look at it and, and comics journalists kind of talk about it like, Ooh, that's, that's artistic. That's profound. You know, it's ballsy. Yeah. Which I mean, it is, and 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 I understand, like I understand the significance and and what Watchmen did with it, and I get, I I get the aesthetics of it, but like when you when you drill down to what a comic book is trying to accomplish, this is where Tom King mostly uh, just lands with a thud when it comes to me, because look at page uh, fifteen of our PDF. It's the page where. Uh, KG Beast is choking out that guy in the apartment complex. Mm -hmm. That's nine panels of him choking out. It's just, it's on his face, getting choked out, spittle coming out of his mouth. From a comic booking standpoint, what is that accomplishing to deliver a story? We've seen dozens of characters get choked out in comics over the years, I'm sure. Characters have been choked who are more important than this guy. What is profound about showing us a nine-panel grid, all of the same thing, of this guy gasping for life and then dying? To me, to me, it's just the most disturbing way you could do it. Sure, but it doesn't... Like, I'm not saying that's a good reason, by the way. I'm just saying that that's, you know... Yeah, it, what, it, what, what, I, what I realized that it's trying to get across to the audience is that look at this, you're going to look at this guy get choked out and isn't it so disturbing, you know? But like what it actually accomplishes in the course of a 20-page comic is nothing, you know? We've Especially seen a it back to it later. We've seen a methodical assassin character before. There's nothing shocking about it. There's nothing 
you know, it's it it doesn't accomplish anything as far as like advancing a story. It doesn't it doesn't do anything more for the mood for me when I read this than one image of him choking this guy out. You know? Yeah. There there the nine panel grid is employed to to get you to stop and read things at a certain pace a lot of the time. And I guess that's what's going on here. But to me, it's not additive at all. I, I look at this and I think I automatically associate a negative thought about it because I realize that all Tom King is doing is getting us to stop and stare at something that that we've really seen done a thousand times that is being presented as far more profound than it really is. And maybe it's my implicit bias now after having read a hundred Tom King comics, most of which I don't like for me to look at this and say, ah, this is just him being gratuitous again. And I might give another creator a pass, but he's gone to this. Well, so many times it feels that, that I, I, you know, I see it and I can't ignore it. Right. I can't ignore the bad feelings I'm already bringing in with a creator that goes to this same well all the time. We are going to get murdered at New York Comic Con. He is going to find us, and he's going to sick his bodyguard on us, and he's going to just – we are going to get choked out like this guy, basically is what I'm saying. I mean, <laughs> he's going to threaten us and then do it nine times. So at time number four, we just walk away. We can escape, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, Good call. All right. Um, we don't really don't do this, but do we have anything to say about damage? Nope. <laughs> no. All right, moving on. Uh, Green Lantern is number 55, written by our pal Dan Jurgens. Uh, this is the penultimate issue, right? I think there's two more. Two more. This will, ne- this will never end. <laughs> Fair point. Uh, illustrated by Mike Perkins and... Uh, Zach, I'm produce. I'm presuming you didn't open this book today. Checked out. <laughs> uh, you had no reason to read it. It is boiling hot garbage. I, I do like how the the tag the stinger for the next issue is Lost Cause. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Zach didn't even read it, and he's going to have the most valuable comment about it. Yep. Um, I do have a couple things. Go for it, buddy. All right. One, correct me if I'm wrong. I've read a lot of Green Lantern comics over the years, but I've also read a lot of comics, so I could be just mixing things up or or for, forgetting something. But they refer to the 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 Green Lantern power as the green throughout this comic. At one point, the Guardians say something like, "We have control of the green," which I've never heard before. I've only heard Swamp saying talk about the green. <laughs> I was going to say, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the DCU, when somebody says the green, it's the it's the elemental power that Swamp Thing is involved in. The green, the red, you know. Yep. The rot. They don't refer to the Green Lantern power as the green. <laughs> only, only in uh, James Robinson's Earth 2, where... Where right. it was the green, that, right? There, where it was the green. Yes. But that was also Alan Scott, so... Yes, that, yeah. was, that was different. Um, or I, I could see maybe it was discussed, like, at the height of Blackest Night with the different Lantern Corps running around. Maybe then it was called that, because that was before Swamp Thing was back in the DC Universe. Sure. So maybe then, 
I think even then, no, I think Jeff Johns is like too meticulous for that sort of thing. I agree. Or not not meticulous, but like reverent to and knowledgeable of it. He would know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They just keep they kept saying that in this issue. It was it came up like three or four times where they referred to it as that, and I thought that's just not. What is he thinking here? But that's a relatively minor point. The other thing I want to point out is at the very end, Hal Jordan goes, "Was that a death scream?" Mogo? Oh, is death scream an actual phrase? <laughs> I would have it's, I would have respected me- it so much more if it said, was that a Wilhelm scream? Like the yeah. famous uh you know movie sound effect. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. Um no, like seriously, like it, what he means is like, is that a scream that indicates Mogo is dying? Right. But he shortened it to a death scream. Is that is that a term? No, maybe is that a thing? I think death rattle is a thing. Death rattle, sure. Like, is it a term much like death rattle is a term? I don't believe so. Is Dan Jurgens making up, like, like we've turned Jurgens into uh, a different word? <laughs> is Jurgens <laughs> making up words and and breathing life into them? I what is that? <laughs> Checks out. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. He's gonna point at, point at us at New York Comic Con. Yeah. Would, evaporate the whole con yeah. Yeah. I also think it's really weird how this is now possibly the second time Mogo's gonna die in a decade he won't die we'll see it, it was not a death scream okay <laughs> <laughs> it, it was just Mogo just stubbed his toe and it really hurt was that a toe stub scream yeah. <laughs> uh, oh fuck can there be anything more arduous than reading Jurgen's cyborg superman dialogue he loves that cyborg superman he really does but he doesn't really know how to write him this was 20 pages of of cyborg superman just cackling yep yep it's uh it's pretty bad i saw a fan poll on twitter today uh which i'm a website that i'm not on um but but uh, but I saw it on Twitter <laughs> uh, that uh, don't look for me. I'm not on there. Um, it was wh- who is DC's favorite uh, or who's DC's who's you who's the most underrated writer at DC right now? And it wasn't a poll. People were just responding. OK. And it had well, like well, 30... well, let's do this first. How would mm-hmm. each of the three of us answer that question? Most underrated. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say Brian Hill. Brian Hill was the second most popular. I counted. Them. Wow. Okay. Brian Hill was the second most popular answer to this question. I don't know. I'd really have to think about it. Um, I, I might throw Dan Abnett's name out there too, but. I really don't know if I have a good one. The ones I want to say are people who do get like recognition in terms of like high profile books, but maybe not as much as they deserve. Yeah. Like the one that like immediately came to mind was Williamson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. He's, I mean, he like, he has his own justice league book, but 
but he doesn't get talked about on that. Yeah, part. of yeah. the three, it's the weird one, and and like he's doing like arguably writing like the heart of the DCU right now in Flash, but he doesn't get like the same recognition as like King gets for Batman and right and that sort of thing. Um, sure. That's tough. I don't know. Vince, who would you say? I I would have said Hope Larson at the time of her writing Agreed. Batgirl. Yep. Um, but because she's not anymore, I'm gonna say Steve Orlando. That's a good one too. I think I don't know Steve Orlando. I don't Steve know Orlando get, Well, he gets a lot. He gets a lot of books. But if you look at like, maybe this is maybe this is the the, the wrong thing to say or the wrong way to look at it. But if you look at uh. Uh, comic review roundup books like um, his Justice League of America mm-hmm. and his Supergirl and maybe maybe Supergirl it's less surprising they got pretty consistently like average or bad reviews I mean, to be fair I think, there. I think his JLA was not his best work but I, I really liked I mean I liked the there, there were arcs and there that were moments were, that were great but I don't think overall it was, it was his best work but well, yeah, so that's that's why I'm saying he's underrated because he really does great work at times. Work okay. that trans work that transcends the work that's not as exciting. Sure, like his Wonder Woman stuff right now is oh, it's great, incredibly good. Yeah. yeah, and I I I'm with you. I almost would have said Orlando too because he's I think in the same vein as Williamson in my mind. Um, he just he gets a lot more attention I think, but. In terms of like the literal meaning of the word underrated, I think you're perfectly valid at like looking at reviews, and that's a good point. Yeah. So Vince, yeah. you brought this up in regards to Jurgens. Anyway, so. Dan Jurgens was number one. So. My goodness. <laughs> he was Dan Jurgens was the most mentioned name. That is truly it was, a cursed website. It was like, it was like uh, Dan Jurgens, Brian Hill, and then Peter Tomasi. But I don't see how Peter Tomasi's underrated when he was writing like Greenland. He went from like Green Lantern Corps into Batman and Robin into very high profile Superman runs. So I don't I didn't understand that as an answer, but. But I guess people don't talk about Tomasi like I feel like of of his generation of writers, he's probably done the most consistent work, but doesn't get talked about as much. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe if he did a little more press. <laughs> I'm leaving that one right there. Um, talking about Harley Quinn number 50, written by Sam Humphreys, illustrated by a murderer's row of DC talent. We at Multiversity got to debut a lot of this art last week, which is super fun. Um, and, and a really interesting batch of creators. So John Timms, who is one of the regular Harley Quinn artists, did the first few pages that sort of lead into this multiversal action sequence that takes up the rest of the issue. Um, uh, and let's just lay it out here. Will Sportasio, Agnes Grabowski, John McCrae, Kelly Jones, John Davis Hunt, Brett Booth, um, Scott Collins, Dan Jurgens, Gia March, Mirka Andolfo, Bab Starr, Tom Grummet, and uh, Cam Smith is another regular Harley uh, artist, but um, first of all, this is this is the most fun a Harley book has been in a long time. 
I, I really enjoyed the the sort of goofiness of this issue. Uh, I also think some of the art was really spectacular. And uh, I know that DC cannot do more books like this, but this would make Harley a much more enjoyable book week to week if it was more like this. Mm-hmm. Boys, what do you think? Did you look at this, Zach? I'll have you know that I only read good books, so I did read this. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> He's back, baby! <laughs> the boy is back! Yeah, no, this was incredible, Island. Um, I'm try- I don't want to be too hyperbolic. I mean, okay, this was my second favorite issue of the week. Yeah, it was close to the top. I don't, I don't yeah, I don't know where it, it would have been. It would have been near the top. Um, there's a, uh, there's a scene in Jackie Brown where, um, what's his name? The cop, Max Cherry is driving in the car with Ordell and he's playing the Delphonics and Ordell goes, I didn't know you liked the Delphonics and he waits a beat and he goes, they're pretty good. And that's how I feel about this book. Like, <laughs> I, <laughs> it's surprising that I feel that way, but I really do feel it's pretty good. This is a, this is a pretty good comic. Uh, so, yeah. Sorry, Zach. Go ahead. Oh no. Um, I don't know what is there to say about this other than it's just incredibly, really, really great. Well, what's okay? So the the pitch for this book, I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. The pitch for this book is all Harley's like continuity is broken. DC continuity is broken, and you find out later it's because um, somebody is writing these like weird stories that make no sense. And uh, at least not to what we know of of DC continuity. And each artist is kind of asked to draw a different scenario for a alternative DC comic that Harley is is looking at that doesn't really make any sense or is is alternative to what we what we know from a similar comic that has existed in DC's history, right? So which of these artistic segments was your favorite, Zach? Um, and then talk that, about it a little. It's tough. It's tough. It would probably be either the, the Lobo High Cost of Living, <laughs> which I assume is a riff on the death book, right? Yeah, the, the that high was very of, high concept. Yeah. yeah. Um that or the Adam Strange sitcom. Yep, the John Davis Hunt one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those two, I think, were the best ones. Um, obviously, like, the, the, the Lobo one was great. The art was really, really good. Who is the artist on that one? Is that... Yeah, March. It is March. Yeah. You're right. I see the signature there. Man, March can be so good sometimes. Um, it also, like... This reminded me of Vilquis Evely's work on The Dreaming right now, which made that like connection even more, um, even stronger in my mind. But like, just the commentary on, uh, like Lobo's commentary on intelligent comics versus um, cheap thrills, mm-hmm. that was really good. But then the the Adam Strange one, that's like an actually a comic that I want now. Yeah. <laughs> Where he just like 
is living a mundane life and then gets zapped away to these horrific things. <laughs> Tom King, write that book. <laughs> uh, Brian, do you have a different favorite you want to mention? I like that one. I like the Scott Collins uh, game show setting. One. Yep. That was fun. And, um, you know, uh, there was one more I wanted to talk about. Where is it? I'm just I'm scrolling through so I can have it in front of me here. Um, I'm a sucker for like multiversal stuff. And I think Tom Grummet <laughs> is such a great artist at that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So the Tom Grummet pages were a lot of fun, too. The the elongated Superman. Oh, yep, Wonderful. Um, yeah, I really liked the John Davis Hunt page. That was probably my favorite in the, in the whole, I guess it was a double page spread, right? Yeah, every artist did two pages, whether it was a double page spread or two single pages. Yeah. And, uh, it was like a, uh, Adam Strange TV sitcom where he's doing like typical sitcom banter, uh, with his TV wife. And then he like flashes to a gruesome war and comes back with slime all over his face. And he's just kind of like stunned but the sitcom's going on um very good i can just i can just picture adam strange uh i can picture his wife saying uh adam let's have sex and Uh, him saying no peg and then flushing a toilet what was his uh alana right wasn't that his uh yeah 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 yeah. no alana no alana (laughs) (laughs) vince i'm Uh, really surprised that the kelly jones pages weren't your favorite yeah, imagine that. Um, uh, if you can't say something nice, Brian. Um, and then the other page I really liked was the Babs or the pages was the Babs Tar stuff. Um, I like I like when Babs Tar goes like full top ten anime betrayals. Yep. And just like the the like weirded out colors and and Harley just freaking out. Um, I, that's the sort of playfulness that that you, you I wish were in comics more often and like like you said earlier they only get to be in Harley Quinn comics for now for some reason um, and and for a short short while it was in Batgirl and we were all blessed but I also do have to give Jurgens credit for doing his like four Harleys like the four Reign of the Superman characters oh he had to you know he had to yeah <laughs> But it was fun. He had to do it, it to fun. him. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Anything else to say? No, that was it was great. Yeah, Kudos really to good. Sam Humphreys for finding a book that works at DC. Yeah. And a and a book that works well for him. That like he, he is a good writer. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, let's take a quick break. We'll be back in just a minute with more. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, 
discussing the highs and lows from the Viz anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we're back with Justice League number eight, written by James Tynan IV, illustrated by Michael Janine. This is the Legion of Doom issue, which is happening, was it every fourth issue for a while? I think so, yeah. I want to say yeah, the last two, one was four. I want to say number 12 was just solicited as another Legion of Doom issue, so. Um, it's fun, even if it's not really like we still get some Justice League time here, you know. Yeah, I that is I I'm glad you said that right up front because that's one of the best things about these issues. They're not just the kind of issues where it's like, okay, we're gonna pause from the regular story, we're gonna tell you something about this other aspect, and then you're gonna have to remember what we were doing, you know, two months or or two weeks later. You know, yeah. I, I love the way that they're structuring this. It's it's really working. Yeah, and uh, we get a bit of a Will Payton Starman origin, a bit of a retcon here. Um, lots of Luthor, some uh, some unfortunate Batman who laughs stuff. Just because I'm, <laughs> I'm just not a Batman who laughs guy, you know. Um, but what do you boys think? I like. Vince, it. You want to go first? Yeah. You yeah. Go first. Sure. I liked it. I even, I even, despite myself, liked the Batman who laughs stuff because I, I was skeptical at first, but I kind of buy him for now, as like a foil to what Luther's got going on. Um, I, I, I do think the character itself is like over the top, but but I think the way that it's playing out right now, I can deal. Um. I, I get it as as something that has to be challenging Luthor from the other from the other side of things. Um, so I, I don't love it, but but it's working for now. Uh, the Will Payton stuff was fun. It felt like an injection of again we we've said this so many times, but back in the New Fifty Two, it really felt like it was the core Justice League team. And if anyone else were to interact with them, it was like uh, touching a hot stove or something. <laughs> and I feel like in this, just adding Will Payton Starman is injecting something into this that we haven't seen in years. And it feels fresh. Or it feels like a, a, a homey return to something from a past life, you know? <laughs> And I really like that. Um, it's it's like a like, even though like like you said, Brian, I'm not the I'm not like I'm not going to pretend I'm some huge Will Payton Starman fan, but it is like a little bit of chicken soup to to have him back, right? Yeah, it just it it reminds me. Uh, so uh, again, I keep pimping my soliciting multiversity column for today, <laughs> but I said like one of the things that bothered me about the Sasquatch Detective getting they're on one shot is there are so many DC characters that just haven't been around in so long. And Will Payton hasn't been around in forever. I, I point out blue devil who's going to be in justice league dark in December. I think blue devil's last appearance was in that blue devil, black lightning DC universe presents story from like 2012. And there are these characters that have these long, rich backstories that we don't get to see often. And instead we get a Sasquatch detective one shot. 
and I just wish that those one shots would be used for more characters within DC proper as opposed to these sort of outside and and I know they're different things, whatever. But my point is that I like it when we get these characters back for a bit because Will Payton was a character that has not shown up in a DC comic as far as I'm aware since James Robinson's Starman wrapped up. None of those characters you mentioned were furries though, Brian. So that is true. That is true. Uh, Zach, how about you? I liked this issue quite a bit. The only thing I didn't necessarily care for was the art sort of only because I, I didn't feel like it really fit well with the tone of the, the book has had so far. And mostly more of that had to do with the coloring. I think I was actually going to mention that this, this is, this pops off the page way more than you think a Legion of doom story would. Yeah. We're going yeah. cold. We're going cold on Michael Janine lately. I know. I kind of feel like I am. Like this definitely isn't the kind of book I want to read from him. Um, I don't it's know if that's too... to do with his art or if it's just a bad match. It's his style. It's not his art. It's his style. Um, because you know, honestly, I didn't love him on Justice League Dark either in the New Fifty Two. Do you all remember that? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That was when Lemire took over the book, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I love him on Grayson. I really liked him on, um, you know, even those issues of Superman that he did during the, um, the like, pre-Rebirth crossover. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So I don't really know, like, what the what the differentiating factor is for me, but I, I, I didn't, I would have much preferred that this was drawn by Jimenez or, or Chung or, or somebody with that more kind of like animated cartooning style. Yeah. He is an odd fit for the Legion of doom here. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Do we think that I'm trying to give us I'm trying to give a uh, a realistic time frame here? All right, so this is issue number eight of Justice League, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think in issue twenty eight or thirty eight, the Batman who laughs is even a thing anymore? Oh yeah, I don't I don't know actually because. I think it depends more on what happens in that miniseries because this is very much setting up for that. Right. No, I, but what I just mean is like a year or two from now. I see. Yeah. Okay. Is, is yeah. the Batman who laughs still a thing? I think so. Yeah. He's like the new, honestly, I could see him being like the court of owls for the next five or six years. God damn you. Must we? <laughs> He's 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 like the freaking Joker. <laughs> there is there is a similarity there that just can't be shaken. Mm. Uh, yeah, this is good though. This, this is fine. Well, let's talk about Mister Miracle number eleven, the penultimate issue of Tom King's somehow least violent, least depressing book of of late, <laughs> written by Tom King, 
illustrated by Mitch Gerrids. Um, I mean, I'll I'll say this to start out: a good veggie plate never hurts. <laughs> I never eat that shit. Not wrong. Oh, I live on veggie plates. Oh, oh no. I like I like cooked vegetables. Uh, I mean, to be fair, if he had brought some gabagools, it would have all gone very differently. Yeah, yeah get over here. Yeah. Gabagool, over here. The, <laughs> the one... Scorpion now. <laughs> Polly Walnut Scorpion. Uh, oh, of I feel course, like so... it's fucking Silvio okay. Dante. Show some respect. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Which, uh, hey, it's been a while. We didn't, we didn't all just... We didn't all just marathon The Sopranos, you know, like a year or two ago. Well, whose um, fault is that? <laughs> yeah, it's mine. Uh, all right, which Mortal Kombat character is which Sopranos character? That's what I want to know. So uh, we've established that Silvio Dante is, is Scorpion. Scorpion. That would yeah. make Paul. That would logically make Polly Walnuts uh, Sub Zero. Sub Zero. Yep. Uh, um, Furio is Vega. Oh no, no, I'm, wait, I'm, I'm, Vegas, 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 because I, I just, yeah, I, my bad. Um, Furio is Johnny Cage. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Yeah, uh, who's 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 Tony? Who's Tone? No, Tone. <laughs> Tony is uh, Goro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so who is like Goro's uh, not real, not biological son, but his sort of metaphorical Kintaro? son? Kintaro. Uh, Kintaro. So that that's Christopher. Yep. Uh, yep. Who <laughs> does? Who doesn't come? <laughs> who doesn't come back from Mortal Kombat three? Because that's pussy. <laughs> I think they're all back. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. no Jax maybe Jax. Okay, Jax. All right. Um. This this is a this is a. a casting couch i don't support <laughs> i'm sorry i started it okay all right so let's, let's move on to the comic then uh by yes. the way do you guys know uh what's next to the veggie plate in the first page uh the the characters from heroes in crisis yep corporate How synergy that? <laughs> baby for some reason for, for some reason dan the deal is dicky v <laughs> Um, He's on yeah. fire. <laughs> NBA Jam. Literally, several characters are yes, yes. on fire in this comic. Um, well, let's let's talk about whether we actually liked it or not. <laughs> um, this was okay. I thought I kind of liked this. This is the best Tom King comic I've read in the last ten days. Yeah, yeah. I I actually like this a lot. Yeah, you 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 talk about it, Zach. You be you be the positive one. Here. I I will be. I I enjoyed this a good deal. Um, this this went the best ways that it could, in my opinion. Like for for my sensibilities and the things that I want, this was very very good. So you you want it that way. I want it that way. Okay. This is my one desire. Christ. Tell me why. <laughs> okay, I will. <laughs> Are you sexual? Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Everybody? DC 3's back. All right. Yeah. And we're good again. Yeah. Um, there we go. There it is. Um, 
Yeah, this no, this was this was really really good. This was not soul crushingly sad. Um, Scott and Barta got to do a good thing. Their families together. Metron shenanigans. Dark side's dead. Ding dong. <laughs> He, uh, yes, much like any time one of us misses the podcast, Darkseid is dead. Yes. Um, but he also is. Yeah. Killed by Orion's, See, like, essence That being. was such a smart, I mean, it's not, like, revel- revelation or anything, you know, but I love things like that. Like, that is a... It's a creative workaround to a situation that was put forth in the book. In another book. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, in the yeah. That that's Tom King like that, that's something that I feel like he doesn't do in his other books, which is that like that's him being being true to these characters, I think. You know, I think aside from these characters being played for laughs sometimes in this book, this is the book that Tom King's written that is most true to or at least the shortest bridge to his version of the characters but from the from the ones that came before. Yes. You know. Um and if as long as we're doing uh uh a, one compliment and one complaint or whatever, um the use of a nine panel grid to show dark side eating some carrots with ranch dressing on it is a funny and delightful use of the nine panel grid. Yes. Um, I thought, I thought that that's showing me something in a way that you, you haven't seen before, you know? Um, so I think that's a good, you know, and, and, and Jakey stealing his nose, of course, yeah. is a great little, great little bit. Um, really great work for Mitch Garrods throughout this. Yeah. Um, the, the timing of things like like at the very end when they're fight when they're fighting and, and essentially murdering him at the end and then like that that whole sequence just plays out in a really satisfying sense of of scale and timing and then the very last page where it's flipping between Scott and uh the the dead dark side and then Scott and then Barda and Jake or Jack, Jakey, and then Metron, and then he, <laughs> Scott takes a bite of the carrot. That whole sequence is, it's like, you get, each panel gives you a little something, and it builds on on what came before to make a really dramatic finish to this issue, you know? Yeah. Excellent use of the nine-panel grid. Very impressive. So let's talk about the penultimate page, the double-page spread. Yeah. So, Metron essentially says to Scott, like, you're not meant for this world, you're meant for this other world. And in the other world, we get, you know, Wally and Barry and Orion, and we do see Barda there, and the Trinity, and Oberon, and uh, Light Ray, and uh, a really interesting mix of sort of fourth world characters but also mainline dc characters and i saw somebody say that this is essentially the last pre-flashpoint comic 
No, this is like New 52 stuff. Oh, I see what you're saying. Like that Mr. Miracle is. That Mr. Mir that section is okay, yes. I see what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, this isn't really New 52. This is rebirth stuff we're looking at. Well, but like they all have their like po I just meant like these are all like this is current continuity. Yes, yes it is. Yes. But the Mr. Miracle that this comic is like the last pre the whole yeah pre-flashpoint series that's interesting man i i hadn't thought about that being the case like i i didn't have that read you know obviously like honestly i maybe like read it as in like he is in some kind of trap some kind of like pocket universe or something yeah i have no idea what to make of it I just but I that. like that read. That's really good. Um, I wonder if there's a reason for that, or if it was just a matter of King was like, "Hey, I have this Mister Miracle story. It doesn't really fit in continuity. How do we how do we square that circle?" And they said, "Oh, we'll just make it, you know, pre Flashpoint." Yeah, it doesn't fit in continuity. See, that's the thing, though. There's there's such there's such little in it that you, other than the murder of High Father right off the bat and Orion's death and Orion, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this really are... fucks with the fourth world stuff. Yeah. So then it makes it makes me wonder why DC wasn't like just like, well, you can't do that story then, right? Like how many how many pitches get rejected that are just like that on a regular basis? But it's also like Tom King, and it's the it's the he he was coming off of the uh, division and accolades and and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, well, it just strikes me as weird because even Grant Morrison gets told no. You know. By the way, can I just say one fucking amazing thing? I'm just noticing now. Huh. I, so I'm zooming into that page in our digital copy, and Jack Knight's in there. Oh. Well, Ray, wait a minute. Where, where right is he? Right underneath Light Ray, between Light Ray oh, and... Oh, yeah. Uh, what in the world? Holy shit, you're right. What does that mean? Well, now I'm looking around to see if there's any other hidden characters in there that I didn't know. Well, there's Adam, Adam Strange, Firestorm. Is Who's that, that between... Bug. Bug, yeah. Uh, Orion, and then on the left, Swamp Light Green. Ray... Uh, Dead Man, Martian Manhunter, who's above, uh, that's Booster, John, Damien, um, Streaks, Supercat, yeah, yeah. Super, Supergirl, Dick, Cyborg, Hawkgirl, Wallace, Wally, Barry, Hal, is that the mask that Hal's wearing right now? You can see how much I pay attention to Jurgen's uh, book when I read it. I think I think so. The mask just looks more classic to me than. Yeah. And. Yeah, Corey. I haven't seen that Jack Knight thing mentioned anywhere. That's wild. Right about it. It's wild and wacky stuff. <laughs> Some weird wild stuff. Yeah. Uh, but no, this is this is good. I I will say that I feel like this is a comic, where you can let Tom King be all the things he wants to be and it doesn't really bother me. But if he pulled this type of stuff, it's not when, 
not if rather when he pulls this stuff in Batman or in Heroes in Crisis, it it does bug me. By this, you mean like the like it's all a dream thing, the elliptical or it's not stuff, real, or... the the repetition, okay, all of that. Like you know, it just works better here. Oh, okay. So okay. So you mean just like the storytelling itself? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anything else about this book? Um. How do you how do you think it's going to end? I, you know, the I, I was going to say this before, but then we got sidetracked. I've become a real uh, pussy when it comes to stories about parents and their kids. Like I, I'm, I'm just that typical basic person who sees his own kids in the story when this stuff happens, and so I'm fearful that it's going to write Jakey out of continuity and that will bum me out. What if this is like a, what if Mr. Miracle gets like a rebirth moment where he like gets to best of both worlds it? I'd be cool with that. Yeah. I think they're all going to go to this. I think they're all going to go to the, the current universe or whatever. Um, and I, I think I think Jack will stick around, and I think it's going to be essentially like launching the new status quo of the fourth world, the new the new gods, yeah, the fourth world stuff, yeah. This is kind of how like King gets to have his remain true to what he said about how this shapes the fourth world moving forward. Mm-hmm. But also, it won't count. <laughs> Well, it'll it'll well, all only the stuff count that before, all the stuff that came before in this comic. You mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Other than it, like happened to them, right? Yeah. If they were assuming they remember it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So, um, the other thing I think is that it'll end with uh, the dark side of of the rebirth world uh, making some sort of appearance because we all know dark side is. Yep. Now Darkseid is young, so. Oh, that's right. He's young and sexy. Yeah. Oh man, he's Darkseid. Scott Free's gonna bump into stupid sexy Darkseid. Yep. Feels like he's wearing nothing at all. <laughs> Anything to say about new challengers, or can we just skip I can this? see your doodle? Yeah. Shut up, Flanders. Oh man, <laughs> it was it was a trip. New challengers. Yeah. Do you want to talk about it or no? I don't even really know what to say about it. Uh, it uh... Yeah, I don't I don't really know what to say about it. Do, do you guys have anything to say? I didn't read it. I have one it's... very specific comment about it, Zach. So go for see, it. See if this tracks with you. To me this reads like it's the wordiness of a bad Bendis comic but without any attempt at humor. Yeah. And um I've generally like been pretty down with a lot of the post metal stuff mm-hmm. more than I expected to, but this is kind of like the worst of that. Like the worst excesses of like dark multiverse shenanigans. Yeah. 
Yeah. Man, we liked that first issue too. We did, but this is uh This also just seems like it's I think sometimes creators treat characters like they're more important than they are. And this puts a whole lot of import on the quote original challengers. But I don't think anybody really gives a shit about the original challengers. But, you know, whatever. This does have the Scott Lobdell of pencils V. Ken Marion drawing it. <laughs> wow. He's the guy who fills in on everything. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yep. That's yep. That's what you meant. It is. Don't put words in my mouth. Uh, next up is Nightwing number 49, featuring everybody's favorite Rebirth character slash New Age of Heroes character, which is uh, the Silencer. Uh, mm-hmm. As mentioned earlier, this is the penultimate issue of uh, Ben Percy's run, which is kind of crazy because I feel like it just began. Uh, but it is written by Percy, obviously illustrated by a man K. Nehuplam. I'm so sorry if you're listening. I'm terrible pronouncing that name. Um, this is uh, more of that motorcycle race horse shit. It was fine. Yeah, I, I really checked out during this. Um, I read it, but... I don't know if I can really tell you what happened. Uh, there was some fun, like, motorcycle chase stuff. Yeah. and uh, The art some, was good. The art was good. The Morrison characters are fun to see. The Morrison, Batman, and Robin villains. Mm-hmm. Although maybe, uh, I never thought I'd say this, but maybe they're used a little too much. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, I thought, it's, it's I thought it was It's pulled out more when they're used together. Yes. Yeah, sure. Sure, that, sure. That's kind of been the hallmark of the Nightwing book in Rebirth, though, because Professor Pig was part of that first uh, couple mm-hmm. of arcs. So I guess this is the place where Morrison characters come to uh, play. Yep. But yeah, this is okay. Whatever, dude. <laughs> uh, speaking of a book that I read but can't remember, Pearl Number Two. Written by Brian Bendis, illustrated by Michael Gatos. Multiversity pull quote above the title, boys. Oh, yeah. That's pretty awesome. It is. It has nothing to do with us. Nope. But... nope. Congratulations to, uh, I believe this was Gustavo Lodi, who writes for us. I believe that is his pull quote. Stuck in Lodi again. Uh, I CCR. Think, uh, I get it, buddy. Either of you guys read this book? No. I did, yeah. Zach, what'd you think? Um I thought it was it was fine. The art was good. It uh it's pretty much more of the same yeah. of the first issue. Yeah. I appreciate the sort of um variations in what Gatos does page to page. Mm-hmm. There are some pages that are way more stylized than others, but the plot has totally lost me. I'm not really interested. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty basic. I liked the, like, closing issues in the party. I thought that was really good. Mm-hmm. Art. And good storytelling, too. Just, like, visual storytelling. Um, I can't believe how quiet this issue was for a Bendis comic yet again. Mm-hmm, yeah. 
All right, let's uh, let's go on to Teen Titans number twenty-two, written by Adam Glass, illustrated by Bernard Chang. Uh, I, I I'm gonna say this, and I'm gonna turn it over to you guys. <laughs> I am glad that this comic is nowhere near as dark as it sets itself up to be. Like that first special issue was so impossibly dark, and then ever since then we've seen the book sort of buck against that and everything that happens in this issue is turns out to be less ominous than it initially appears and i'm glad for that what do you guys think Mm, i'll i'll be honest i kind of just skimmed this one i missed the last issue and uh I, I just, I don't know, yeah, I don't feel super invested in this, but maybe, you know, the, is this kind of the end of the first arc? Does it seem like, or is it, I, I did see the last page reveal and got that impression that like, maybe this isn't, maybe we're being misdirected a little bit. And if it's kind of moving in that direction, maybe I'll give it another shot. Cause I do really like Chang's art. Vince, let's say you. Um, Oh boy, I'm t- I'm really torn on this book because um, it's got so many elements that I like. Like I I like all these characters. We've said this before. This is going to be a broken record thing, but I like all these characters. I like all the new characters legitimately and how they're written too. Right now, I don't like how any of the old characters are written. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you end up with a book where like half of the cast just sounds annoying to me. Like everything Damien says is an, is annoying as shit. And kind of the same with Wallace, although he's get, he's being like, he's like the pin cushion of this book. Like everything is kind of his fault or everyone, everyone blames shit on him. You know, he gets blamed for roundhouse's death. You know, he's, he was kind of like the butt monkey of the, like first first issue you've never heard that before no, i haven't heard it since i was 10 oh okay well anyway um uh th- what th- i use that right right like that's the character that gets sure. like it gets like picked on yeah well anyway um uh i gotta make sure i use that right <laughs> i didn't i'm <laughs> I'm sure you used it appropriately. Yeah, because there's a picture of Charlie Brown getting the football ball. <laughs> yeah, he's he's just like everybody's beaten up on him, and I don't think it's I don't think it's deserved, and I don't think it's like earned in the in the text either, and so that's kind of annoying to me. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I what do we think about the Red Hood reveal? Yeah. To me, that was the worst part of the issue. Sorry, explain to me what the reveal was. That essentially Damien is like taking orders, sort of, from Red Hood about this. Mm. Like the Red Hood is is the, uh, if not the instigator behind the team, an instigator behind the team. Right, Vince? Would you agree with that? Yeah. I guess. Interesting. 
I feel like Jason and Damien are an interesting pair that we haven't really seen before, but I don't think this is the book for that. Especially because Jason, of all the Robins, has the least connection to the Teen Titans. Yeah. I guess that makes it unique. Sure. Uh, I also find it kind of uh, kind of insulting that when Wallace finds out Roundhouse is still alive, he calls him Roundhouse, not his real name. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's get to the last book of the week with by far the best last page reveal of the week. The Wildstorm, number 17. Oh. Written by Warren Ellis, illustrated by John Davis Hunt. And let's jump to that, right to that last page. They're back, baby. They're good again. They're good I again. mean, they were always good. They were always great, that's fair. But Apollo and Midnighter, here we are. Yeah. It's about time. I, I, told, I told Vince I had a hot take about this issue. Uh-huh. Um, this like confirms that uh, this new Wildstorm is the new 52 done right. That's a good take. Like this is how wow. you like reboot a, a franchise, a universe. Yeah. Yeah. All you all you need is Warren Ellis to write every book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Warren Ellis and Brian Hill. Um, but yeah, can we like this arc has been, I think, easily like my favorite arc of the series so far. Just with this focus on, um, it's John Lynch, right? He's the one who's going around. Yeah, 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 tracking down all of the like ex Thunderbook characters who are like the parents of the Gen Thirteen kids. And um, like that is the A plot and then the B plot of engineer kind of exploring her powers and getting kind of ready to set up the authority, it seems like. Um, and like how many they even uh, hint yeah. at by name. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I, I've loved this arc. I think it's I think it's incredible. I really want to like go back and reread the series from this point now. I've been thinking I feel like it's thing. a good time. Yeah. Well, if they're taking a break, is it after this issue? Uh, I think after eighteen. Yeah, so maybe we'll do that in the in the break there. Um, I say we as if I dictate everything you read, but no, I'm. With I mean, you. you basically do. That's sort of the case, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Between this and Manga Club. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I thought this was great, and I, I think you're right, Zach. I think having Lynch as the uh, sort of a key part of the story has been a great way to check in with some of the characters we haven't seen yet, but it doesn't just feel like a greatest hits tour. You know, he has a purpose for seeing all of them and it seems to be setting something else up. Um, I, I just think this is, this is so good. Yeah. This is my favorite issue of the week. Like hands down. This is the real Gabagool. Yes. Mm-hmm. Talk it up, Vince. Come on. Man, ending on a high point. That's nice. I just Zach said it all. I don't I don't 
I do all the talking on all the books he's too good to read. That's true. Yep. <laughs> Zach only reads the books the Founding Fathers would have approved of. Because he is the <laughs> yes. patriot of the DC3 cast. Well, that does it for this week, folks. Um, it, so uh, we have one more episode before we are gathering for New York Comic Con. And uh, the week in comics we have to talk about next time is a fucking doozy. <laughs> so let's just go through here. We got action comics. We have the the best two comics of the week next week, Batman Beyond and Batman Kings of Fear. Um, Hell yeah. We get the first Brian Bendis Walmart Batman story. We get um, Doomsday Clock number seven, which uh, I'll throw out there is is a pretty big issue for a number of reasons. Just the Odyssey, the aforementioned uh, Heroes in Crisis. Um, Raven, Daughter of Darkness. <laughs> uh the Silencer, Titans, Wonder Woman. It's a big week. And uh, to talk to us about these books or anything else, you can find two-thirds of us on Twitter. I am Brian Needs a Nap. And I am at Wilker Fox. Uh, Vince does spend what time he used to spend on Twitter looking at his window. So if you send smoke signals and or semaphore with good jokes, he, he will... <laughs> let you know somehow that he'll he'll flash a flashlight twice to let you know that he he got the joke i'll flash you yeah we had our uh our own local brett kavanaugh here huh oh brother <sighs> anyway no <laughs> <laughs> anyway tune in tomorrow for our special heroes in crisis Number one review issue episode, whatever it's called. And we'll see you next time. We all have to wear Minecraft heads when we interview. <laughs> <laughs>